Hello, and welcome to Contact Chai. Today's episode is a Shabbat replay of our November 11th Friday night Shabbat service. Our drosh was delivered by Mishkanite, Baker, and Breaking the Silence member Jacob Portman, who spoke about his time in the IDF. If you want to learn more about Breaking the Silence, there's a link in the show notes. Now, take it away, Chef. Mishkan has, in the last year, we ran three book groups about Israel. The first one was a book called, Can We Talk About Israel? And I feel like that's the, um, that's the tone that the author sort of was imagining people say that in. Um, can, we, can we talk? Can we? Can we talk about Israel? That was just the first book, okay? The second book was about an activist um, named Suleiman Khatib um, called In This Place Together a Palestinian's journey toward collective liberation. The third book was by a guy named Yossi Klein-Halevi called Letters to My Palestinian Neighbor. And in each one of these book groups, we spent the entire first session, essentially, going over ground rules. How do we talk and listen about a subject that is so deeply important and so deeply personal for so many of us and so deeply confusing for so many of us, even as it remains, and even as it remains personal and important, even existential in so many ways. Um, and so I mention that because we have had no emotional preparation tonight to hear you speak, Jacob. But I'm trusting, I'm trusting in the container we've built over the last hour that a community that prays together can do a lot of things together. Um, in Morning Minion, for, for I see some Morning Minionites here, you know, we'll pray for half an hour, and then we will get into some spicy discussions about a lot of things, and people stay in the room. They don't, like, log off when they hear something they don't like. They stick around long enough to ask questions and to respectfully engage. And it's okay if at the end of the day we log off and we don't all agree, because we're Jews, and we don't agree on anything. And so... Um, I want to say I'm grateful to you, Jacob, for coming and bringing your experience to us tonight. Jacob is a member of the community. Uh, if you came last Shabbat morning, you threw candy at him because we celebrated his for his impending marriage to Natalie Debo. What? What? <laughs> he is a baker, and um, yeah, you will hear you will hear more of his story. Jacob is here speaking. Um, with an organization called Shovrim Shtika, which means Breaking the Silence. And Breaking the Silence is an organization of Israeli soldiers and former Israeli soldiers talking about their experience serving in the West Bank and Gaza. So without further ado, thank you, Jacob, for sharing your Torah with us tonight. Welcome to guests from near and far. It's so amazing to see this room full of people again after so long. Um, when I think about Mishkan, I always think about to you. So it's really, really great to be speaking here. Um, so as Rabbi Lizzie mentioned, my name is Jacob. I'm a builder here at Mishkan. And I'm also a chef and baker for a Jewish bakery uh, on the southwest side in a little village. But I'm not here to talk about bread tonight, maybe another time. 
I'm talking tonight as a former soldier um, in the Israel Defense Forces. I served as a combat soldier in the Paratroopers Brigade between 2012 and 2014. And during my service, I spent time serving in both the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. I served in two military operations there, one called Brothers Keeper in the West Bank and one called Protective Edge in Gaza. And both of these were during the tumultuous summer of 2014, over eight years ago. Now, you may be curious why a kid from Columbus, Ohio, ended up in the IDF, and I'll tell you a little bit about that. I grew up in a family and a community deeply connected to Israel. My dad's side of the family lives in Jerusalem, and I traveled frequently there to see them. I spent every summer at a camp affiliated with B'nai Akiva, which is a religious Zionist youth movement. And if you're not familiar with religious Zionism, it views the establishment of the state of Israel not just as a moment of historic significance, but as a watershed moment in Jewish religious life as well. Columbus had a very small Jewish community, so it was easy to feel like an outsider as an observant Jew. So to me, there was something very exciting about Israel, a country where people spoke Hebrew in the streets, where the Jewish week and holidays determined the ebb and flow of daily life. Even though Israel was an ocean away, to me it felt very, very close. I have a vivid memory of my Israeli friends at summer camp telling me how when they graduated high school, they would go off to draft into the Israeli army. And I told them when they went, I would go too. And in 2012, I did. I immigrated, made Aliyah to Israel, and when I received my draft call up, I tried out for it and was accepted into the paratroopers brigade. This was a unit I greatly admired as a kid. If you're not familiar, soldiers in this unit were famously photographed in front of the Western Wall after capturing the old city of Jerusalem during the Six-Day War. I had a poster of this photo on my wall growing up. I approached my service with a sense of purpose and duty. I was going to protect the Jewish people, my people. I completed basic and advanced training, received my paratrooper jump wings and my red beret, and went off to serve with my active duty brigade in the Golan Heights and then on the Lebanese border. After a quiet winter, we went down to the Jordan Valley for summer training. By this point, I had been in the Army for almost a year and a half, and I had not really spent any time in the occupied territories or interacted with many Palestinians, aside from a few weekends guarding Jewish settlements during training. This was all about to change. One Shabbat in June 2014, we were at our respective homes for an off weekend when we were suddenly called back to base. We were told that three Israeli teenagers had been kidnapped and that we were being mobilized to the West Bank in an operation to search for them and their kidnappers. We prepared our gear on base, and that night we board a bus to a Jewish settlement near Hebron, and from there we walked under the cover of night into a neighboring Palestinian village. After quietly moving through the alleyways and streets, my platoon arrived at a house at the top of a hill. I went with my commander and a small group of soldiers to the front door. It was maybe 2 a.m. My commander knocked at the door, and a middle-aged Palestinian man answered. My commander asked him if he spoke Hebrew, and he said no. He then asked him if he spoke English, and he said that he did. My commander turned to me to relay to the man that we would be taking control of his home to use as a base while we were operating in the town, searching for the missing boys. I told the man to gather his family members into the living room, and he did, without protest, almost like this was a completely normal request, 
like this was just a regular night. He had done nothing wrong. He was not a suspect in the kidnapping. His house happened to be located in the right place for operation. That's why we were there. My platoon entered his home, our faces painted different shades of green, tracking dirt and dust across the floor as we hauled our heavy packs up to the second floor bedrooms, where we set up our reconnaissance equipment. Then our routine for the next two days unfolded. We took shifts guarding the owner of the house and his family on the first floor, who were not permitted to leave. We went on patrols in search of the nearby neighborhood, used the equipment we set up to monitor the surrounding area, and took breaks to sleep on the floor of the bedrooms we had taken over. The room I slept in was a kid's bedroom and had cartoon characters painted across the child-sized furniture. During those days in the house, the Palestinian man, I never learned his name, would ask me, as an English speaker, how long we would be there. When would we be leaving? He told me he worked at a school and he needed to be there. I didn't know when we'd be leaving. Even if I did, I probably wouldn't have been allowed to say. After a couple of days, we finally packed up and left. As we walked out of the living room to the front door, I remember looking at him and saying, I'm sorry. We walked to the next Palestinian town and took over another Palestinian home and then another. After my service, this was the experience I thought about the most, even more than the war in Gaza that I served in just a few short weeks after this. I thought about the Palestinian man and his family and the ease at which we barged in and disrupted their home. The arbitrary nature of why we stayed where we did. He and his family had done nothing wrong. We stayed in his home for the very reason they had done nothing wrong. At the time, I probably viewed him and other Palestinians with suspicion and fear. But after coming back to the States, after my service ended, I began to question that narrative of fear. I was struck by how little the American Jewish conversation around Israel and Palestine had changed since I was away. But in reality, it was I who had changed. I remember during those years immediately after my service listening to an episode of NPR's Hidden Brain. In that episode, a member of Breaking the Silence spoke about taking over Palestinian homes to use as bases during operations during his time as an IDF soldier. He said this is a maneuver known as a straw widow. I had never heard this term used before. I didn't know soldiers routinely took over Palestinian homes. I thought when we did it, it was an exceptional situation. But how would I know? I had never talked about these experiences before. I had never heard anyone talk about these experiences before. It was only then, listening to a podcast, that I realized the Palestinian man whose home we stayed in acted like Israeli soldiers taking over his home was the most normal thing in the world because it happens all the time. Those days I spent in the house became a focal point of questioning so many things I had learned about Israel and Palestine. But for the Palestinian family whose house we took over, and for many of his neighbors, it was just a regular week in the West Bank. I reached out to Breaking the Silence a few years later and shared testimony of my time operating in the West Bank and Gaza. If there is a recurring motif in the section of Vallejo Read this week, it is about hosting guests. One hot day, Abraham rushes to greet three travelers who approach his tent, and he insists that he stays with them to wash up, rest, and eat, without knowing they are angels. He and his wife, Sarah, quickly rush to prepare an elaborate meal for these guests, who, after resting and eating, tell Abraham and Sarah, who have been struggling to have children, that Sarah will soon have a son, 
revealing their divine identity only after Avram and Sarah's instinct to accommodate them so hospitably. The travelers then set out for the city of Sodom, where they run into Avraham's nephew, Lot, who was just as eager to host the travelers as Avraham was. Lot insists his guests also wash up, rest, and eat without knowing they are angels, and he too prepares an elaborate feast for them. These angels have not just come to rest, but to warn Lot that he will be destroying the city of Sodom. But they tell Lot to gather his family and escape. The repetition of Avraham and Lot hosting guests, both followed by good news, emphasizes how important the text views hosting guests. Hosting guests, welcoming others into your space is a sign of a person's righteousness. That making sure the people who pass through your home are nourished and rested is praiseworthy and deserving of reward. I was not a guest for those several days in the Palestinian family's home. I was an occupying force. The host says, come to my home, I insist. The soldier says, I am coming into your home, do not resist. Home is a sacred space, the location of so many of life's joys, sorrows, memories, life cycle events, the opening up of one's home, an act of vulnerability and trust, is a blessing for the guest and the host. The invasion of one's home, an act of violation and aggression, is traumatic and destructive for the occupied as well as the occupier. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to join Breaking the Silence on a delegation to the West Bank. On this trip, I met with Israeli and Palestinian activists working together to confront and challenge the Israeli army, Jewish settler violence, and other mechanisms of occupation. One hot summer day, I rested and ate a meal in the home of Nasser Nawaja, a Palestinian activist from the South Hebron Hills town of Susia. Susia has been demolished many times by the IDF as it lies in a part of the West Bank where Israel prohibits nearly all Palestinian construction. This time I was in the West Bank not as a soldier, but as someone committed to learning from Palestinians how to support, how to support their fight for freedom and dignity. I was in a Palestinian's home, Nasser's home, not because I forced my way in, dressed in full combat gear, but because I was invited as a partner in hearing about his life on the other side of the occupation. Earlier this year, members of Standing Together Omdim Bayachad, an Israeli organization made up of Jews and Palestinians working for social change across a wide range of issues, came to Chicago, and I had the chance to moderate one of their events. Something they said there stuck with me. In Israel and Palestine, we need to change the us versus them mentality to one of a bigger us that includes both Israelis and Palestinians. That is what is emblematic of the host and guest relationship the creation of a larger sense of who is included in our concept of us, our concept of home. I came to Israel with a narrow sense of who was included in that us, but years later I was back in the, some of the same places I had served as a soldier with a broader sense of who was included in that us. The path to recognizing that a unified movement of Israelis and Palestinians working together towards a non-violent dismantling of Israel's military occupation of the Palestinians required me to reckon with the active role I had played in maintaining it. As former IDF soldiers, breaking the silence testifiers know the costs of the small us. It leads to violently imposing ourselves into daily lives of Palestinians. That is why we broke our silence, why we share our stories. To show what maintaining the unjust status quo looks like and to propose thinking in a new way about a place that, although it is an ocean away, still feels very close. Shabbat shalom.
Shabbat Replay is a production of Mishkan Chicago. Our theme music was composed and performed by Kalman Strauss. You can always see where and when our next service will be on our calendar. There's a link in the show notes. And if you appreciated the program, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I know you've heard it before, but it really does help. On behalf of Team Mishkan, thank you for listening. <laughs>